welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. It's so great to have you all here again. Definitely going to talk to you about some things that we talk about often. I'm also going to talk about some things that we don't talk about often. It's summer. Let's be careful keeping our dogs outside. Even though it might be getting a little cooler out during the daytime, make sure that you remember that the temperature inside that car can be 30 to 40, even 50 degrees hotter than it is outside. So if it's only 60, 65, but it's in the hot sun, that temperature can get up over 100 very easily. Remember also that you might have a really kind-hearted, you know, stranger who could also smash your window and break your window of your car because the dog is in there. So what I tell people to do, if you're going somewhere and you want to take your dog, get all your errands run first in the morning. Get everything done so that you don't have to worry. Then shoot back home, grab your dog, go to a cafe, hang out, or get your stuff done another day and then Go to a nice pet-friendly little, like, restaurant, cafe, a lot of places, even bars and taverns now because of COVID, have outdoor seating. A lot of them are really, really happy to just let you sit there with your dog. And uh, there's one really awesome place. I just went a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine in New Jersey, and they actually had an entire menu, not just for humans, but for the dogs. It was great. They had, like, pup burgers and you know, popcorn and like all kinds of cool stuff. And, you know, of course, I have a service dog, so I'm not going to bring, you know, a service dog in, into a restaurant and have them eat there because I kind of undo all the training. But a lot of people really do go with their dogs. And it's also very good if you have a puppy where you want to socialize the puppy to other people, but not really like crazy like in a dog park. So consider that. Get online. We got Google. You can go online. You can you know, look up pet-friendly restaurants, pet-friendly cafes, pet-friendly coffee shops near me. You'll find, you'd be surprised, there are actually some places pretty much all over the country, especially get areas like Denver, Boulder, upstate New York, Lewiston, New York, which I just saw my good friends uh, Sonny and Bob um, from old Sonny's Roost. And, uh, you know, a lot of these Little towns really are very, very cooperative, and they really love the animals. You know, listen, the one thing COVID did for everybody is it started to get people who didn't ever have a dog or didn't understand the craziness that you and I have over animals versus people, which, well, if you know enough people, you'll start loving dogs even more. But a lot of places are starting to take advantage of that now. And as my good friend Amanda is here with me eating her watermelon popsicle, um, natural one, though, the Outshine brand, very good. Not really good for dogs, too much sugar, can uh, help them to have worse worms if they do. But, you know, dogs are a family, and let's face it, would you rather spend time with your relative or would you rather spend time with your dog? Hmm. That's a really tough one. Yeah, I think everybody just answered the same. If you have relatives and they're good, then God bless you and <laughs> count your blessings. But, man, dogs and horses and, hell, even a chicken. I mean, every every animal other than maybe a bear that's trying to kill you, which well, I don't know why you'd cover yourself in honey, but, like, if you do, that's fine. So every animal is, I think, kind of higher up on the, uh, the like it or not list than most humans. There's a lot of great humans out there, but there's even more great animals, and we've got to take care of them. So the thing that we're going to talk about that we don't normally talk about is 
diseases and health issues. Yes, we talk about it. I know we talk about it all the time. But I'm going to talk about something that happened uh, yesterday to one of our dogs. And dog is really cute. It's a doodle. You know, you guys know how I feel about that. I talk to you all the time. Some of them do have a predisposition towards poor health, uh, immune issues and such. So you do have to be careful when you buy any of these kind of designer breeds, whether or not breeds actually, but these mixes of mixes, because anybody who's going to breed them isn't starting out with a good quality mother and father. If they were, it wouldn't be doing this. So the whole thing is this dog, very sweet dog, a little bit frightened, a little fearful, as many of the doodles are like hyper and don't have maybe... Some of them have great temperaments, the, some, most of the F1s, but a lot of them do not. So we're going to talk about what can happen in this weather. I just learned something this morning about something called pokeweed. It is a purple kind of pretty invasive weed. And this sucker got to be about two inches in diameter where I was putting my entire bulk of 115 pounds on this limb and trying to break this thing. And then I noticed we all got purple. So we were laughing. Amanda and I were out here. We were laughing. We were having fun. And her dog, Hank, who's one of our service dogs in training, is black and white. Well, so Hank got purple black and white. So it was really funny. We were laughing. And my Ridgeback puppy, uh, Fallon, who's out here with me at the Missouri Ranch, our imaginary place in the sun. Um, So Fallon was out there, but she didn't get this color on her. And I thought to myself, self? that's an awful lot of purple. Let me just check it out and see, is this something that can be toxic? So, you know, usually you check, yeah, it's fine. He's done that before, but there was an awful lot on him and it looked cute. We snapped the picture. And then I thought to myself, self, let's check that on Google because you can check anything on Google. You can even check to see if cancer detection is a real thing. Well, that's if you would investigate it properly, but you could check anything on Google. So what we did was we went online, found this thing was called a common pokeweed. Yes, there's a thing called a pokeweed. I guess Pokemon must have it. I don't know if it's got something to do with some political movement, but it's called pokeweed. And pokeweed is highly toxic to dogs. Why do I say this? Because we gave Hank a bath, not very happy about it. He hangs out with too many Ridgebacks. It's probably what's going on where he said, oh, my God, the water will melt me. Don't you remember, Mommy? Didn't you ever see the Wizard of Oz? Remember the wit- the Wicked Witch of the West? That Wicked Witch? She melted from water. You're going to put water on me? I'm going to dissolve like a sugar cube in a cup of coffee. And we gave Hank a bath. We got pretty much all of it off as much as we could. And it's pretty much gone now. But the reason I'm saying this is we had this dog, this doodle, and uh, she is very, very cute, very, very sweet, very, very fluffy, weird hair, because she's a half mixed breed, whatever. But I'm just looking at it and saying, huh, maybe there's some of that pokeweed out in the kennel runs where these dogs go, and maybe she licked it or touched it. So... I actually just went back there with my friend Kenny, who's done a lot of work for us out here at the ranch, and we looked. We didn't see any, but there's no saying that there isn't some somewhere. So that goes back to what I tell you guys all the time. You have a fenced yard. If you have an electric fence, although I'm not a big fan, they're fine. If that's your only option, totally cool with it. You always want to check the battery. Make sure it works. Test it on your hand, and you might want to use it on your dog after that. 
check it out. If you have a physical fence, go in there, make sure there's no holes dug, no groundhog or gopher or something went underneath the fence and now there's a place for your dog to escape. Make sure that after a storm, there's no, or a windstorm even, no trees down that might have hit the fence, knocked it down, lowered it, weakened it, whatever. These are the things that we have to check because one time that one thing happens might be the one time that your dog runs across the street and gets hurt or killed. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. I've seen too many people have that happen. So we talk about the front door rule. That's why we do the door rule. No dogs are allowed to run out a door anyway, but especially not if it's not protected by a gate or a fence. Because if your dog runs out and people say, oh, my dog's great. He's only kind of bad when he sees another dog, and then he runs right out the door. Oh, okay, well, with your luck on your worst day when you're feeling terrible and something is probably tragic is going on or something very difficult, those seem to be the days that your energy affects your dog behavior and your dog decides he's going to go run out the door and go chase down the chihuahua or the shih tzu or the cocker spaniel or whatever doodle thing is out there walking and dragging its owner on a leash, jet skiing with the owner, uh, or I call leash skiing. And, you know, you have this whole situation where you can fix it. You can prevent it. Front door rule, right? And remember, door is a door. Gate is a door. Uh, car door is a door. The door, back door is a door. The front door is a door. The door to the bathroom is a door. The door to the bedroom is a door. Yeah, get it? It's a door. So that's why when your dog doesn't respect the boundaries, and, you know, you decide like, oh, hey, oh, I'm going to let the dog run out the back door, but I don't want him to run out the front door. You're teaching him that the door rule doesn't exist. You're teaching him that it doesn't matter. You just go run out. Because why, do you, why does your dog want to go out? Why does your dog want to get out before you? Very, very simple. Because your dog thinks that he's got to protect you, keep an eye on you, which means that he doesn't look at you as protecting him. He looks at himself as protecting you. We talk about this with service dogs, which we'll do in the second half of the show today. But the key here is making sure that, you know, you guys are doing the right thing for your dogs and making sure that the dog understands what you're asking of them. I always talk about something called clarity. So clarity is the understanding for a dog that you are taking care of him. He's not taking care of you. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to protect you. He's not going to bark at strangers. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm specifically talking about when your dog has the misplaced notion because of what you're doing, whether your energy is weak, if you're going through a tough time, you've lost somebody dear to you, uh, kids are you know going to college, you're an empty nester now, and you're not so happy about it, um, rather than you know adopting another kid at 60, which is certainly I'm all for, um, but, you know, you can teach your dog that you're still in charge because once you're not in charge, you open the door, the unprotected door with no door rule, you open the door to that dog starting to think that he is in charge and he's got to take care of you. That's a lot of responsibility. Don't give your dog that kind of responsibility. It's not fair. He came to you as a puppy or as a rescue, whatever, and he came to you because you wanted him. That's granted sometimes the dog will find you, right? The strays who show up and we wind up with a couple of dogs we didn't expect. No, I think that's just God talking. Yes, I'm going to say, I think there is a God. Um, I think he's kind of disappointed with what's going on, maybe disgusted, but there is a God. So if God tells us that there's like a stray cat, a dog, 
you know, chipmunk, a groundhog, a hedgehog, whatever it is, comes into your life, then maybe it's there because it's supposed to be there. But other than that, those of you who went out and bought a puppy from either a backyard breeder or a puppy mail or a pet store or a quote-unquote breeder who breeds mixed-breed dogs for money and doesn't stand by the dogs at all with guarantee or anything, those people do not care about the dog. They just care about getting money. So you have to be smart. People have to start realizing that. When you get a dog and you buy one from one of these mixed breeds, like anything mixed breed, as soon as you get into that mixed breed dog, it is not a well-bred dog. I don't care what they say. My favorite is when you go to a pet store or some one of these backyard places or one of these, you know, puppymill.com or, you know, Green Chimneys Puppy Mill or whatever it's called. Um, names have been changed to protect the guilty on that one. Um, if for some reason you think that you're going to be getting a super well-bred dog and you ask the people and you say, well, I want to make sure that these are good breeders. Are they going to say to you, yeah, I want your $4,000. So I'm going to tell you that these are, these are, you know, great breeders. Or is the person going to say, you know, oh yeah, no, I don't want your money. Um, yeah, these are all puppy mills and these dogs are bred in, you know, the garage of some you know, lady in Cincinnati who's, you know, got 40 females in a, you know, one-bedroom apartment in cages, and they just keep pumping up puppies every six months. They're not going to tell you that. Oh, we only go to the best reputable breeders. Well, if you're buying a mixed-breed dog, there is no such thing as a reputable breeder. There are people who are kind of doing it right, very few and far between, but there are a few people who will actually health check dogs. But my sweet daughter, not my real daughter, my bio daughter, but she is in my heart, Shauna. Shauna sent me this really funny thing that there was actually some woman, and I apologize if you're in the audience listening to me, but take your licks like a grown-up. And this woman posted in a doodle website or doodle group somewhere on social media and was so upset because she did a DNA test and she found out that the, one of the parents was a poodle and the other parent was a golden, golden retriever. And she was absolutely furious that the parents were not both golden doodles because she bought a purebred golden doodle. I, I don't even know where to go on that one. I mean, a purebred golden doodle. Yeah, it's not a thing, you know. Like 20 years ago, we used to laugh at people like that and they'd go, Oh, well, I, you know, my, my dog had puppies with the neighbor's dog, and we can't get rid of them. So, you know, we're going to give them a funny name, and we're going to tell everybody they're really rare, and we're going to go get ourselves three, $4,000 for these suckers. Oh, look, we got rid of that whole litter. Let's breed some more. And, and it's just pathetic because the poor dogs are poorly bred, and a lot of times the parents have health issues. There's no genetic testing. There's no checking hips. No checking elbows, no checking thyroid, no checking for heart issues, um, no checking for cataracts. Uh, my favorite thing is when the, the one of my uh, one of my patients was a golden poodle mix. Yes, that's what they're called, golden poodle mixes, golden retriever poodle mix. And the woman bought it because she said that she wanted, really wanted a golden retriever, but she knows that goldens can have you know a lot of health issues, especially with their eyes. And they can have cataracts, so she wanted the golden poodle mix 
because then the dog would be healthier. Didn't bother to check that poodles also carry the exact same genes for juvenile cataract and half a dozen other things. So when you mix them together, you don't have less of a chance. You actually have more of a chance because you you have such diverse DNA, but you have these same alleles, these same gene indicators um, that, you know, basically, long story short, you're buying a, a poorly bred whatever it is, a well-respected, you know, show breeder, a American Kennel Club, AKC show breeder of merit is going to do all the health checks. They are going to keep those puppies till they're usually 12 weeks. Some people will let them out a little ahead. They will have all their shots. If you have a problem with that dog, for the life of that dog, you call those people. They will be there. They will help you. They will support you. They, I just had somebody with a uh, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Uh, great, great, great family. Um, the dog has a screw loose. It was not a good breeder. She didn't know that at the time. She then got another Chessie when the first one passed. Um, and now she still had the second one. And the second one um, has a screw loose. It was from a really poor breeder. Very, very, very bad. Not show breeder lines at all. And didn't really care about the dogs, obviously. So when she bought the third one from a reputable breeder, the breeder got her in touch with who she needed to get in touch with. But the whole thing was the reason that second one was so bad, because the first one was great, the second one was bred poorly. That was not an AKC show breeder of merit. Having papers, especially if you guys are going to go buy a puppy, please, 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 please look at things a little bit differently. Look at it as, you know, what you are going to have in a year, in two years, in five years. Do not buy a puppy and say, oh, look how cute it is. And when you don't have any information about the parents, there are so many different kennel clubs. There's um, AKC American Kennel Club is the legit one. United Kennel Club, they have kind of the breeds that aren't breeds yet in America. So that's not too bad. That's uh, okay, especially if you're getting a, a breed that isn't already uh, AKC registered and approved. But there's the American Kennel Club Company. There's American Canine Registry. There's like all these things, and they're basically not anything. They're just a bunch of people. It's like the fake service dog organizations that all they do is they, oh, you send us a picture of a jar of Nutella, or you can send us a picture of a can of root beer, and we will certify that that is your service animal. You know, and, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's sad. It's a very, very sad turn of events how the world has become and how many people have to. Fake, 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 all of these, uh, you know, different whatever they are, and say, oh, yeah, this is a purebred Labradoodle. Well, there's no such thing as a purebred Labradoodle. You know, if, if the parent, if the father is a lab, well, that's usually the other way, the father is a poodle and the mother is a lab, and you breed them, it doesn't matter if the father was a grand champion show dog and the mother's a grand champion show dog they're not purebred anything that's how that works they're called mixed breeds because they're mixed so you got to think about it doesn't make sense to do that now we start getting into health issues and temperament issues when you have people who aren't going to be breeding well they're not breeding to better the breed they're not breeding to make the breed more strong more healthy long 
lasting, like more longevity. They're not breeding an animal for specifically for those reasons. They're just breeding the animal because they want to make money. They don't care. They're not going to be around when your dog is two or three years old and winds up completely blind because it's got juvenile cataracts. They're not going to be there when your dog is having seizures because it's so poorly bred. They're not going to be there when your dog is five years old and has had both its hips and both its knees replaced. They don't care because they've got your money. And I don't understand why, but nobody ever calls these people back. When you have a dog, if you bought that dog from whoever it is, whether it's a legit breeder or it's not, you should be calling back that person and saying, hey, you gave me a dog that's a year and a half old that is going blind from juvenile cataracts. You didn't test for it. It's going to cost me X dollars, and therefore, I want you to help con- compensate me or, at the very least, stop breeding the parents and start doing something right. Well, you know what? You're not going to do that. And my favorite guarantees that people say is, oh, if there's a problem with the dog, you just give them back to us and we'll give you a new one. Like you're going to give back a dog that you've had for, you know, five years. You're not going to give them that dog back and what, they're going to euthanize the dog. So that's where, you know, we know what is going to happen. We know that people are not always going to be responsible or most of them aren't responsible, but you can be responsible by not buying a mixed breed designer dog because they're not a thing. They're just not a thing. So the fact that, you know, you're buying a dog from somebody who's a backyard breeder or puppy mill or, you know, a puppy broker, which is, there's a lot of those out there now, um, you know, puppymill.com. It's not really what it's called. Um, you know, there's a lot of them and there's, there's several, I know just, you know, out in the Northeast and all, these are just puppy brokers. What they're doing is they're, they're the middleman. So you say, I want, a, I want a purebred, uh, let's see, what would it be? Chipushan, whatever the hell that would be. And somebody is going to go, all right, well, we don't have whatever they want, but we do have a Maltese mixed with a Cocker Spaniel. So let's give them that because they all look the same, right? All these little fluffy things are cute, but they all look the same. Well, the dog gets older. It's obviously not what they were supposed to have because, you know, that's false advertising. But really, did it matter? Because they all look the same. You can change. It's easier to make, let's say you have a Cocker Spaniel mixed with a Poodle and you have, let's say, a Lab mixed with a Poodle. And let's say you take the Cocker Spaniel, you mix it with a standard Poodle and you take the, uh, let's say, whatever the other thing is, let's say, a large uh, breed dog mixed with a, a tiny dog with tiny poodle. So you have the father and the mother are completely different sizes. If you did that, you would come out with both of them roughly the same size and they will look pretty much the same. And especially when they get fluffy, they all look the same. So what happens is you're spending money and you're buying um, an animal that is probably unhealthy, subpar, definitely poorly bred because they're being poorly bred. That's what they're doing. And so you end up having um, a dog who you're going to fall madly in love with, and it might even be a really good dog, but then you fall in love with the dog and the dog isn't healthy now. So if you don't have, and the only two really legit 
is American Kennel Club, which is all leafer pure bred dogs. And AKC, you should look for a person who is a show breeder who has a bunch of champions because those people, like myself, are very careful with what we breed. We make sure we check for genetic issues. We make sure that if something ever happens with the family, we would take the dog back. We would always keep an eye on them. We make sure. And I've had, I've one guy, Rich, my friend Rich, um, he's had six of my Ridgebacks through the last 35 years plus. Six he's had. And they all live a long time. So he, at one point, I think had three or four. And they live a long time. They're healthy. They're wonderful. They have great temperaments. They get along great. They, you know, they're just great dogs. If you're not going to buy a dog and you say, oh, I want to rescue, or you say, I want to get a mixed breed dog. You know how many of these doodle things there are in rescue now? Don't patronize the people who bred garbage. And I don't mean that the dog is garbage. I mean, it's garbage genetics. You don't want to do that. So the whole key is make sure that if you're going to go and you're going to go get a dog, a mixed breed dog, I would be heading, I would call your local shelter. They have all kinds of doodle rescues. They'll say, oh, yeah, this is a something doodle. This is a double doodle. That's a golden, a lab, and a poodle. So it's a golden poodle mix with a lab poodle mix. They call it a double doodle. I just think it's kind of a dumb doodle. It's like now you got too much in it. And let's say labs, goldens, and all these guys, they all like to eat stuff. So you might actually have uh, a situation where you uh, you might even have a, uh, a problem because you've got all the genetics of the lab and the genetics of the golden, which isn't always great, and the genetics of the poodle. So the key is here, think, think, think. Stop doing things and, you know, oh, I want a puppy. And then you complain you don't want a puppy because you can't housebreak it or because it's got a really bad malocclusion, and now the dog is chewing on everything. Look at a dog who's a year, two years, three years old, because somebody thought they were the best dog trainer in the world, so they bought a puppy from a pet store or puppy mill or backyard breeder, and they couldn't train that dog. So now you can get the benefit of their ignorance, and you could actually go get, instead of spending three or $4,000 for a mutt, that really should probably be $50 or $100, which is all it's worth, you can actually go and you can get an actual rescued doodle thing. And it's going to be the same thing, except you're going to see what problems it has, if it has health problems, if it has temperament issues. Most of the dogs that are in rescue have some mild, minor issues, and they can be fixed. And you guys know I can fix that because I can fix pretty much anything. So I'm telling you, if you want to get a doodle, you know, yeah, fine, that's fine. It's, it's not a breed, though. Just, you know, contact a rescue that specializes in doodles. Or even, you know, check with your local shelter. And when they have a dog who is, you know, potentially, um, you know, like a poodle mix or a Bichon mix, which are even healthier, actually, um, you can wind up getting, you know, for a couple of hundred dollars for adoption fee, you'll get a dog that you would have spent $4,000 for. You could take the family down to Florida for a week and you have a dog who you know is going to be okay and is already housebroken and already has some basic commands down. That's the way I would be handling it, but who am I? Who am I? I don't know anything. But, you know, we're going to break for a moment. We're going to go come back in a few minutes with our show for the love of dog is going to be gone for a moment, 
and we're going to have our last segment with From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with still Janice Wolf. So today we're going to make Amanda happy and we're going to be talking about some different things and different ways that we can help train dogs to become service dogs. We've talked a lot in recent weeks about the good match, finding the right temperament, finding the right condition, finding the right confirmation. We're going to talk about some equipment now. When you're working, and we've talked about this too, but remember, 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 when your dog is working and your dog is hyper, and that is not a time to put a vest on. It is, however, a time to potentially put a gentle leader on your dog. What is a gentle leader? Well, first of all, gentle leader head collar, and, you know, there are other brands, but that is the one that we specifically use. They uh, now come with a nice metal clip so that you don't have to worry about the clip breaking. But great gimmick, great gadget. It's, we really, really love it. And what it does is it simulates the pressure on the nose that a mama dog or the other puppies in the litter would push down, like you've seen when puppies are little. Mama will kind of put their whole head in her mouth, kind of chew on the top of their mouth. And the other puppies will try to put their mouths over the top of the muzzle of or the nose of the other puppy. And whoever has more, um, you know, strength or potentially, you know, stick-to-itiveness and will more dominant, they will tend to be the ones who have their number one position or number two position. They will be on top. So. What do we do, though, with a gentle leader? What do we do in general with equipment? Well, if you're first training your dog, do not throw a vest on your dog when you're trying to train him when he's a puppy and he's rolling around like an alligator or he is, you know, trying to steal food or he's out of control or he's just being a puppy. Don't start putting a vest on him because he's going to get very confused. The vest is like your church clothes. So if you have church clothes, you wouldn't go out and play in the mud with your church clothes, right? Although now everybody wears garbage clothes. But in the olden days, they used to wear nice clothing, even to fly on planes. Remember those days? So what happens is you have a dog who is out of control. You have the vest on. So what does that vest mean? It means nothing. So the other thing is what kind of vest should you be buying? If you are using a harness, For your puppy and you switch over to a service vest, there is not much difference, if any. So a lot of times when you put, if you're using a harness, like just for controlling your puppy, and then you put a service vest on to a puppy or to the dog, it kind of seems like it's the same exact thing. Now, we know it's not, but it's hitting the same pressure points and it's relatively tight. So the nice thing to do if you're training your dog is wait until the dog is a little bit more calm, a little more steady in his temperament. You can even take him out with a leash, gentle leader, whatever you want to do. Let him get his, his jaw, jollies or ha-has out. Let him be, you know, running around and play. Then when he calms down, start taking him for a walk. Once he gets past that phase and he really, really starts calming down, then you can start thinking about putting your vest on. You don't want to put the vest on if the dog is going to be eating, if he's going to be playing. It's fine if he's got to drink a little bit. Better if not, but it's fine. No problem. 
Um, it's also fine to um, leave the vest on if the dog has to defecate or urinate. Remember, we talked about many weeks about how to get your dog to go to the bathroom to urinate or defecate and giving it a command. So if you say, let's say you say the word potty, even if the puppy potties in the middle of the street or not, or in the middle of the, you know, your dining room table, as long as you assign a command to it, you'll be okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, you know, oh, good potty, good potty, especially if it is outside. Good potty, good potty. Don't say good boy, good girl, because what does that mean? Good boy, good girl. So you're a good boy, you're a good girl. What does that mean? Like, okay, I'm a girl or I'm a boy or I'm a whatever I am. But it doesn't matter because that is not what potty means. So instead of using the dog's name, instead of saying good girl, good boy, good dog, good whatever you'd say, just say good potty or whatever the word is you want. If you're trying to teach your dog to lie down, wait until he lies down, give him a second and say, good down or good stay or what, you know, whatever the command is that you're trying to teach the dog, that's what you want to use. So by doing that, what you are actually going to do is reinforce the command by what he's already doing. So if you tell a dog sit and you keep pushing his butt down on the ground, you're not teaching him how to sit. You're pushing his butt down on the ground because you're forcing him. And then you say, good boy. And he goes, okay, if my butt is on the ground, I'm a boy. Okay. I don't know. Whatever it is. So the the idea is catch your dog doing the behavior that you want him doing. So for instance, if he is, you know, lying down and you've been trying to teach him to lie down, just reach down and pet him. You can say good down. You can say, you know, good, whatever, downstay, whatever word you want to use. But it's starting to get the dog to understand what that word means. So then when you start saying the word down, he says, oh, I know what down means. I got petted when I was laying on the floor. I think that's what it means. And there you go. It's a lot easier than, you know, obedience through obesity and giving cookie, 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 and then having a dog who's, you know, 20 pounds overweight and he can't be a service dog anymore because he's so fat that, you know, yes, I can fat shame a service dog. It's okay because, you know, it's one thing for people, but it's another thing completely when, you know, you're trying to get a dog who's going to be a working dog and he only works for food. Just think about that for a minute. He's only working for food. And so you don't bring treats with you. And then your dog doesn't work and doesn't do service dog stuff? Eh, I don't know. Seems kind of silly to me. But there's also a thing. Make sure you're not pulling, yanking, especially if you're using a gentle leader. By pulling and yanking, you're just being abusive to your dog. Don't hold the gentle leader and, like, force a dog on it. If you're doing anything, it's a gentle squeeze with your hand, kind of like you're squeezing um, you know, like let's say you're squeezing in, in a game or something where you're making a fist lightly and then releasing, those are fine, but you're not going to be yanking a dog down. You're not forcing a dog down. There are pressure points you can definitely use um, over between the shoulders and between the hips, but be careful because if you don't know what you're doing, you can hurt your dog. But by giving your dog the opportunity basically of, you know, doing the right thing and getting reinforced for it, once the dog, once you catch the dog in a couple of things, 
that he's done well, he's going to keep doing well, right? Because now he's like, oh, this is really great. I actually, you know, I actually did something right. Mommy is, you know, telling me I'm a good boy or good whatever this, this skill is. And now the dog starts building up on things. So what kind of vest should you use? When you start out, I recommend, especially if it's a young puppy, don't put a full vest on. You can pull what, put what's called a jacket. It's literally a piece of canvas fabric, and they have all different colors. And it's like it fastens in the front across the chest and right under the armpit. But it's, you don't put that real tight. That's very loose. So you want to have, you know, three fingers or so, two fingers, three fingers at least. And you want to give the dog enough space. So if he starts learning that that particular jacket means that he's not allowed to act silly, eventually he learns that, oh, okay, when you put that on, I have to be calm. That turns into taking your dog, who's the best dog in the world, and you know, taking him and having him, you know, learn something. And now he goes, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. Like, oh, it makes sense. That's what I'm talking about. So best thing to do is to take whatever gadget you're using, preferably either a slip lead or a gentle leader, use that slip leader, that gentle leader, and try to figure out how you can um, just Gently give him a little squeeze with it. If the dog is trying to pull, if he's yanking you, you might be holding it too tightly. A lot of times, and people don't understand this, there's a difference between holding the leash short and tight and holding the leash short and loose. So if you think about having a thread that's a foot long or one that's an inch long, when it's longer, you have to hold it and reel it in. When the uh, leash or the thread is only one inch long, you only really have to have a very gentle pressure and you can kind of release it without letting go. So if somebody says to you, you're too rough or too tough on the leash, they're not talking about like letting the leash slip through your hands. They're talking about giving a little bit more leash to the dog. Uh, As my husband always used to say, give him enough rope to hang himself. If the dog tries to run away or take off, all you have to do is basically, you know, take, um, you know, like a little bit of a, a relaxed break, take a deep breath and just let the leash, like let it go maybe an inch or two. Don't make it longer. Just relax your hand into the leash. The dog will feel that and he will probably stop and look back at you like, oh, what happened? Remember, dogs like to feel that pressure like you would have for an Iditarod dog. They want to feel that pulling of the sled. They want to feel the person behind them because that is what uh, shows them and teaches them how to move forward. But if you're letting your dog drag you all over the place all the time, that's what his normal is. So super, super important. Make sure, make sure, make sure that you're not yanking and pulling and holding it firmly, because the more you hold it tightly, remember what I always say, tension breeds tension, lightness breeds lightness. So if you're pulling, the dog is pulling, and then he's pulling, and then you're pulling, and then he's pulling, and you're pulling, and so on and on and on and on. If you're light, he's going to come back to you. Very much the same as if you were teaching a really rowdy, raucous class of sixth graders, and 
you start whispering. And if you start whispering, all of a sudden, all the kids stop talking because they have to listen to you. But if you're loud and boisterous, they can do whatever because they don't have to listen. They hear you already. So same thing with your dog. You want to make sure that the dog is already understanding and always understanding that whatever he does, he should be soft and light. And then that softness and lightness we counterbalance with when we start doing tether, which means that the dog should be feeling where the child is and adjusting and moving appropriately and accordingly to what that little child moves. So if the child doesn't move and the dog has the command to continue to go forward, but then, you know, he starts going forward and the kid falls, you also want the dog to know that he shouldn't be dragging your child on his face for, you know, five miles. So there's a balance there. Well, we did have one question before we go for the day. We did have one question that I think was very, very relevant, and it was about how to train a service dog um, to do mobility and balance work. Well, the problem is that if you're already unstable, sometimes it's very, very hard, even if you're not unstable, but especially if you are, it's hard for you to teach the dog how to stand in place. So... One thing you don't want to do if you're going to be training a mobility dog or balance dog is you don't want to train the dog to sit. Let him know that there's no sitting. It's what we do with our show dogs. We don't teach them how to sit because if you train them how to sit and they see a piece of food in the ring in your hand, all of a sudden, you know, the dog is, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, your hand doesn't see food and goes like, eh, whatever, I'm not going to do it. But the key for you and the key for your dog is the clarity, is understanding what is it exactly that we're trying to find? What are we trying to do? What's the, what's the thing we're trying to accomplish? Well, we're trying to accomplish having a dog who's well-behaved, who's calm and confident, isn't going to spook at everything, isn't going to try to bite another dog, isn't going to try to go after a person, isn't going to be territorial, isn't going to be protective. We just want a dog who's your buddy who is happy to go wherever you want to go and always, you know, just ready to go because he wants to go, not because he has to go. So a lot of people, I think, make the mistaken, um, well, decision or judgment call to take a dog out to a scary place or to a very large place before they're ready. I've seen a lot of dogs ruined that way, a lot. And the reason that they get ruined is that people decide, oh, we're going to, you know, take the dog out and, you know, we're going to take him out with us and he, we're going to Disney or we're going to, you know, a big store or something. It's dog friendly. Just remember, dogs are going in and out of fear impact flight instinct phase, the second fear impact phase. So basically till 14 or 15 months, these dogs are going through all kinds of fear phases. And if they're going through a fear phase and you take the dog out during that fear phase, guess what happens? Well, your dog is going to get afraid. Your dog is going to start reacting and you're going to cause irreparable damage. I mean, I could fix it, but you're not going to have a service dog. You're going to have a frightened dog. So if you think you're going to have a frightened dog, then why would you take the dog out into an area that it might be scared? And for goodness sake, don't put a vest on it when you do that. So when you're getting your dog ready for things, you can start a really, really good start 
is finding somebody locally to you. Like I do, I am an AKC American Kennel Club canine good citizen evaluator for a whole bunch of stuff, including trick dog and uh, CGC urban, CGC advanced, CGC regular, uh, star puppy. It's not really super difficult, but what does happen is in the AKC CGC test, you are exposing the dogs to other dogs, to people, to friendly strangers, to being petted, to having to be separated from you for about three minutes. You're also having to teach the dog how to be around other dogs, not reacting to other dogs, and to be learning in a capacity that he's going toward being non-reactive. So that's always a really super awesome thing to do, making sure that the dog is going to be socialized, but appropriately socialized and not overdone because it's really, really hard once a dog has a bad experience to fix that so that the dog no longer reacts to it. And if you have one dog and you're hoping that your dog is going to be that one in a hundred dogs who can actually be a service dog and you don't want to give your dog up, well, as soon as you look and you say like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to, today I'm going to, you know, do this testing for my dog and, oh, but I went to, you know, the Home Depot or whatever it was yesterday and, you know, I took my puppy and the puppy was great until a man, you know, hit us with the cart or until a display fell or whatever. So you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. So make sure you don't overdo it. Don't overplay. Don't overstimulate your dog. Let your dog know, hey, this is fine. Even if you only go into the parking lot or in the front where they have the lawn furniture and barbecues on sale and sometimes the little, you know, riding mowers or things or zero turns, you can walk back and forth there. If people cross your path, that's fine. They're allowed to cross your path. But again, make sure that you are um, doing things in a level and at a level that the dog is comfortable and it's going to succeed. Don't set your dog up for failure. Set your dog up for success. You know, the whole key here is, the key is making sure that you are a good owner and that you are responsible, that you are aware, that you're not overly cautious, and that you're not overly confident. Don't get overly confident. Just walk in, walk around like you own the place. The dog will find that your energy will figure it out and we'll start keying off of your energy. That's how simple it is. So, you know, don't yank and pull on leashes and collars. If your dog is choking, it's because he's pulling. If you have a gentle leader, it is not a muzzle. Please don't set it so that the dog cannot open its mouth. It is not supposed to be uh, something that is keeping the dog's mouth shut. People will ask you all the time, oh, my God, why is your dog wearing a muzzle? I don't know. Didn't your parents ever teach you anything? Like, I don't know, like being kind and polite. Like, I don't know. Why are you asking me personal questions? What's wrong with you? Why do you need a service dog? I don't know. What's wrong with you? Your parents didn't teach you manners? I don't know. It's not my problem. But the problem is when you do have a service dog or you're in training, you'll have to a degree people will be better, but a lot of people will be worse because they don't know, they don't think, they don't understand that, you know, your dog is there potentially in training to help you. The dog is not in training to help them. 
So people need to be told that. And again, be kind. Don't be nasty. Don't be sniffy. Just be kind and let people know that, you know, this is the way that, you know, I have my dog out here and my dog is doing well. Please don't distract them. Please don't look at them. Please don't talk to them because my dog isn't trained yet, but I'm trying to train him to be a service dog. And he needs to know that when we're out in a public place, he has to focus completely on me. Tell people, most people will be good. You'll get the occasional one who goes, I just wanted to pet your dog. Every person I ever asked who had a service dog, let me pet their dog. You guys know that means the dog wasn't a service dog. It means the dog was just a pet that they were bringing in because there's no way in the world that we would ever let you pet a dog who was a service dog because then the dog stops paying attention to you and starts paying attention to everybody else. See, even the dogs here, you see how well behaved? There's 43 dogs here. You see how well behaved they are. Somebody just pulled up, which means that it's probably my time to go, and I will do so. I will do so happily. I thank all of you for being here, and we'll see you next week. Be good to your dogs. Be good to your family. Stay healthy and safe, and we'll see you next week. Take care.